Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. a local icon in the legal world here in Tampa Bay area, Bjorn Brunvond, who is uh, renowned on both sides of the Bay for his work in criminal defense. And apart and aside from his uh, career, he is just an extremely interesting person outside of the courtroom as well. So he's someone I've been wanting on the show uh, a lot and was lucky enough to get him in before he's about to go on a pretty big trip, right? Heading up to Alaska Monday. Oh, wow. And you're going for how long? Uh, four days in Alaska hiking, 39-mile trail outside of Denali, and then Montana for some river hiking. Uh, oh, my God. Hiking that sounds epic. Rafting. You yeah. travel quite a bit, don't you? Used to. Yeah, I, well, did you, used to before COVID? or used right. to, Yeah. Used to before COVID. Yeah. No, I will be again shortly. I have, mean, have you been to Alaska before? Never. Okay. Never. That sounds amazing. It sounds like just what the doctor ordered right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. A lot of space, a lot of open space. Pass my COVID-19 test this afternoon and I'll be good. Is that, so I wanted to ask, what's the process now to do a trip like that? So Alaska requires that you bring results showing that you cleared a COVID-19 test within 72 hours of, of, of arrival. Okay. So, so what do you just go to a walk-in clinic and do that? Or is there a specific uh, person? I, I got a buddy who's, okay. a, who's a physician who's going to help me walk it through to make sure that we have the results and so that I have them in hand when I land in Anchorage on, awesome. on Monday. And who else are you going with? Going with a buddy of mine, Ben Montgomery. Okay. He's a local author. Um, oh, really? Super good guy. What type of stuff does he write? So he writes, uh, he, he wrote a book about a grandmother. Um, Fiction or? No, it, no, it's 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 real stories, but, okay. it, but he researches the crap out of it. Yeah. So one was about the, the grandma, first grandma to walk the Appalachian Trail. Oh my God! The other one is about a guy who decided during the Depression to walk around the world backwards because, oh. and he was trying to get attention. You know, it's almost broke. like a travel author, but with a a, a tweak on it. In yeah. Some fashion. Yeah, yeah, and it's really. I mean, his books are really cool. They're heavily researched and incorporate current events that are going on at the time and you got to give me his number so, so i can reach out to him and get yeah, him on he's, here he lives here in this neighborhood uh, this neighborhood <laughs> yeah. has become like a little bit of a movement it's almost like <laughs> gulfport you know there's a lot of artists and authors and you yeah. know a lot of stuff I, I really dig it we have when i moved into the building we put that mural i don't know if you saw it when you pulled up on the one amazing but well, we're having another one done we're having a bunch of high school kids who are going to do stuff about the george floyd and all that other stuff on the other wall so Very cool i really dig tampa heights seminole heights it's really it's really coming up but uh so do all your trips are they kind of planned around an event like a hike or do you try and have it be something more than just sitting around or most of my trips are work related well, so, that that would make sense. You know, South America, a lot of South America work-related, um, but I've been all over the world. Um, well, when you say work-related, as an attorney or as an attorney, so uh, working outside of the country as an attorney, how does what is it that you're doing? How does that come up? Uh, being retained on uh, by people who have problems in the United States, uh, interviewing witnesses on cases out of the United States. Do you um, find that you're selected specifically because of that by people outside of the States? Like, is that something that you've kind of made a niche or? So probably about 2008, um, I had been called over to federal court for a federal court appointment. Sure. And so I drive over there um, and I parked the car right outside the courthouse and I get a phone call from the judge saying, hey, we didn't realize the guy who had been brought in from England, uh, he already has a lawyer. Okay. And so we don't need you. And I said, well, you know, I'm already here. Is the lawyer in town? And they're like, no, he's in Houston. I said, okay, why don't I just come up as a friend of the court Yeah. and, um, and help out with the initial appearance? And, and I realize I'm not going to get the case, but right. that's no problem. So I do that. It's a guy that, a very interesting case, uh, had been extradited from London involving Colombian cartel and Russian mafia. What year would this have been? This would have been 2008. Okay. 2008. So the lawyer in that case is a guy out of Houston who happens to have a Norwegian-sounding name. Uh-huh. So I, I called the guy afterwards, and I said, you wouldn't happen to be from Norway. And he's like, yeah, I'm, I was born in Norway, and so was I. So we connected. Oh, wow. His, he is my connection for, for All these those cases. cases. Um, 
So he only handles cooperation cases. To explain and high level okay. high level cooperation. So cooperation between governments. Is that what cooperation? No. Okay. Defendants who want to cooperate. Oh, 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 okay. So major drug trafficker gets arrested, let's say in Buenos Aires. Uh, some of his people uh, realize that it's just a matter of time before they're going to come knocking on their door. Right. They reach out to my buddy. My buddy, you know, from it's time like to high time level substantial assistance. High level substantial assistance. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's that's yeah. what a what yeah. an area to be involved in. And so yeah, so I've been been fortunate because I didn't just get all bummed out and leave the courthouse. I ended up, you know, getting that case from London and a bunch of cases out of Colombia. So. You got to be open to adventure and open to, you know, one of the things, and I know it's kind of silly, but sometimes when I feel like life is stagnant or something, I'll drive away home that I've never driven home before. Sure. Or I'll say yes to something that I would normally say no to, or I'll try and say, how can I get in another lane from the lane that I'm in? And, you know, like the story you're telling here about that, I mean, just look at what life has provided you just by that one kind of uh, event in your life. Absolutely. Uh, and I think those opportunities are out there if you kind of keep your eyes open sure, for them. Sure, sure. Um, there was a book called, uh, I think it was called Black Swan, and I always refer to it, and it talks about how um, the arc of society has sped up at various points because of a black swan event, something that is like a once-in-a-lifetime thing that because of it sped everything up. And you can go through histories, and whether it's, uh, manufacturing or the internet or some of these different things that have just sped up the evolution of life. I think we have these little black swan events in our life that if you are lucky enough to uh, pick them out and capitalize on them, you, you really, the, the, it's a windfall, not just financially, but just in life experience. So, life in general. Yeah. So you, you kind of started at the end of your career, or at least in the middle. So Norway, born in Norway, um, how long did you live there? So born and raised in Norway. Okay. Um, uh, grew Crew. up in Stavanger, or right outside Stavanger, Norway, which is the southwestern part of Norway, about the same latitude as Anchorage, Alaska. Um, I was there till I was 17. Uh, came here as an exchange student. Uh, ended up in Florida, Largo, Florida. Wow. Um, knew nothing about Florida when I arrived um, and uh, lived with a family on the water in Largo, with the dock, and I was hooked. Yeah, you know. So was it an exchange student for what would be high school? High or school, college. Okay, high so, school. And then how is how is the school system set up in Norway? Is it similar to here, or is it? No, it's very different. Um, so Norway, when I was there, um, and it may have changed somewhat. Um, you started school in the seventh grade. I mean, I mean, when you were seven years old, not yeah. in the seventh grade. So you so you you start first grade when you're seven. Uh, it's nine years of compulsory education. Okay. Um, and, and during that nine-year period, uh, you are required to take two foreign languages. You start the first foreign language in the third grade, and then in the sixth grade, you start the second foreign language. And um, so then once you graduate from the ninth grade, then 20% will go on to what's called gymnasium. Okay. Which is basically... A, in university preparatory type uh, education, 80% will go on to vocational schools. Okay. So, and it's all based on, on how you test. Right. So, I mean, everything is free, everything's paid for. I mean, you know, paid for b with taxes, but everything is, uh, is, is taken care of. So, it's all based on, you know, how you test out. If you, if you test out. And how did you test out? Uh, good enough to get into the gymnasium. Right. Good enough to, you know, uh, go to the university. So I start my first year at gymnasium. Okay. Then I come over here as an exchange student. Okay. And so then I could go back to Norway and finish gymnasium, but I would still, if I did, and I wanted to come back here, I'd still start at the same level. So, so you and just finished it out here. So I just, well, I had to go back to Norway for five months. Okay. So I went back for five months, worked 90 hours a week to save up enough money so oh that God. I could come here and survive for a year. Uh-huh. And I survived for a year. Then I got married at 19. Really? Way too young. Oh, but, my God. You know, yeah. um, the, but I ended up having three awesome daughters as a result of that. How old so. are they now? So the youngest one is 22. Um, In college, or what's she doing? The youngest one who's 22 is getting ready to uh, join the Army. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, she's at the final stages wants to be um, initially uh, specialized in helicopter mechanics. Um, 
And um, then I have a daughter and granddaughter in Montana who I'm going to visit oh, out great. there. Granddaughter. And, um, and then I have a daughter uh, here locally uh, with a grandson who was just born. And she's a dental hygienist. Um, so, yeah. Wow. And I think the, the oldest one is like 30, what's this? This is 2020, so um, 34. Okay. So, um, did you have any siblings? Were you an only child? Or was your family? Siblings. Okay. Um, are they in Norway? Are they here? Are they where? One in Denmark, two in Norway. Okay. And Do you make it back over there often? I try to. Yeah. Um, you know, it's difficult now with COVID-19. Uh, my mom was supposed to come visit here for three months. Had to cancel because of the virus. How's she uh, doing health-wise? She's, she's doing great. Yeah, is your father yeah. still around? No, or? my father passed away in 1992. Okay, what, what, what did they do, your mom and dad? So my dad was an oral surgeon. Oh, um, really? And a dentist, oral surgeon. Over there? Over there, yeah. So, so over there, I mean, it's socialized medicine, right? So it's all government paid. Uh, is it as lucrative over there as it is here? Is it? So, so when, I, when I first came here... I was very much against socialized medicine. I was like, Why is that? Well, because my dad was paying a ton of, of money in taxes, uh, and, and then he was basically forced out of his private practice into a public practice, and, and I, I was just very opposed to it at sure. the time. I felt like it was substandard care, substandard equipment, and what have you. Um, then I come over here, and uh, over time dealing with insurance companies, dealing with paying premiums, and they're always eager to take your pr payments for premiums, and then dealing with them when they don't want to pay for any of your services. Right. I've come full circle, yeah. and I'm like, you, gotta, you, you, you need to provide basic medical care for people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, Do you ever see the uh, Michael Moore movie, like, Who to Invade Next? Where he kind of goes to different countries. I don't know and that I've seen that one. I love Michael Moore. But you I got it's such a great movie. Okay. And he he I don't know if it's Norway, but he goes to like a a, a penal colony there, and okay. it's like the prisoners are free to leave, and they cook for themselves, and it's it's almost more like a social contract. Sounds like gonna, Norway. Sounds yeah, like Norway. And, yeah. And what was great is there's one part where he's talking to a guy who was convicted of murder, and he's the chef. Uh -huh. And on the back wall, there's this magnet board with all these huge butcher knives, and and he's purposefully shooting this guy without in the background and making light of it. And it was pretty interesting. But then they go to France and you see that what the school lunches are in France compared to what they are in the United States. But it, I did see, you know, I did see. That. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, it shows like an American lunch and it's like a frozen fish patty with like a Velveeta cheese on it. You go over to France and it's like beef bourguignon and, you know, just these amazing lunches. And, yeah. it's, you know, it's kind of a, a, a counterpoint to the making America great again versus what is available outside of our country. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so law, where did that seed get planted? Was there lawyers in the family? Was that something? No, no, you... no lawyers in the family. Um, what, what's the law, legal system like over there? Is it, is it similar to here? Or? It, it, it's, um, it, it's, it's different. It's more statutory than, you know, the yeah. common law system that we have. Uh, you know, there are some jury trials, but it's it's really primarily in in murder cases, and there aren't that many murder cases. Um, there aren't that many murder cases. No, that's, aren't that's that an many. Interesting murder. point. There was a meme that was just on <laughs> Facebook, and it showed the number of police-related deaths. I think it was in Norway or Denmark or something since like 2000, and it was like four. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting when when I first came here, and and I remember going to to. Buccaneer games and other events, and 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 all the cops have firearms, carrying firearms in the open, in, in, yeah. in front of everyone. And I'm like, every police officer who I had seen in Norway growing up never carried a firearm. I had cousins who were police officers; they never carried firearms. Yeah, and all of a sudden, what's I'm the here. status of gun control? I mean, can can you personally own a firearm over there? Or what's the you can you can, and and currently I, I couldn't say one hundred percent, but but. Yeah. but, but Bottom line, when, when I grew up there and, and lived there, it was very difficult to own a firearm. Generally, you know, someone who hunts could own a rifle. I mean, right. a handgun, really, there was no need for a handgun. I yeah. mean, so um, are there ways that you can get firearms? Sure, you know, yeah. and, and, um, and, and have we had our share of, of violence and terrorist-type activities over there? We have. Yeah. Um, but, but it's very difficult. Um, uh, and and unless you're a hunter, you're not gonna you're not gonna have it. Right, right. Yeah. So uh, 
I was asking you about the law and what the legal system oh, right. was like over there. So yeah. uh, I've been to France. I did an exchange program where I taught uh, family law in France. Okay. And they're very much bench trials. They, they oftentimes have three judges sitting, more of like a panel, like sure. an appellate type of situation. Sure, sure. And uh, it, it was definitely different. And I've kept in touch with my friend uh, Fred from France, and we always kind of talk about what's going on in the world. He, uh, where is that? Oh, he sent me the Charlie Hebdo when they had that artist that was killed yeah. for uh, making the the Muslim thing. But anyway, right, so right. so uh, getting into law, how did that kind of enter enter your spectrum? So let me first add on a little bit to what sure. you just said about the the type of trial. So my mom. Um, has had lots of different uh, occupations. She was the first female mayor of our town. Oh, wow. Um, she's been a banker. She's been a teacher and, and what have you. But during the, t the time period when she was a mayor, um, she would sometimes be called in to be like, they would have one professional judge and two civilian judges, and they usually would be educated, higher-ranking people in the community right. for these quasi-trials or sure. what have you. So, um, But... Um, now, what were you asking? Well, I was asking how it was that the, the idea of going into law came Okay, yeah. yeah. So my, my dad's an oral surgeon. Um, all his friends are physicians. Um, uh, so I knew I, I couldn't be a doctor. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't be an oral surgeon, you know, because I wasn't going to do... Your rebellion. Yeah, I was rebelling. I was rebelling. It's sort of like my daughter who's joining the Army. I, I said, why don't you try the Air Force? Why don't you try the Coast Guard? Yeah. And... As a result of that, you pushed there was further, no way yeah. in hell that she was going to do anything but the she army. She doubled right. down. You should have kept yeah. your mouth shut. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, so I, I was intrigued by by um, I've been intrigued by crime my entire life. My dad uh, subscribed to this crime chronicle book that came out, and it, it dealt with crimes in Scandinavia each year, and they would have photos of the scene, that we had description of the crimes and, and what have you. So I was very intrigued by that. Right. Um, I knew I was going to be a lawyer at 14. I didn't know what kind of lawyer I was going to be. So um, fast forward to um, college at USF in St. Pete. Um, I ended up volunteering with, with um, CCR Middle, which uh, they did post-conviction work for death row inmates. Right. Right. So when I'm 22... Uh, it's the first time I actually go to death row and I meet an inmate on death row. Was this uh, anybody I would know? or No, you wouldn't okay. know him. Okay. You wouldn't know him. He, he's currently serving um, oh, still life. On yeah, he, his, his okay. death, death sentence was commuted and he's okay. serving life. Um, uh, you know, I, Personally, I think he's probably innocent, but um, it, it was interesting because he, he was this gigantic man, his black male, yeah. Um, he had he had dreams about being a police officer, and 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 then he gets uh, you know convicted of of this um, assassination type murder. But what 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 intrigued me about him was he had been on death row f for over a decade when I met him. Um, that he had found purpose, uh, and that he sort of resigned himself that he was going to live the rest of his life in there, prison. Yeah. But he had found purpose in helping out younger inmates that he would have contact with who were not going to be there the rest of their life. Yeah. So so that intrigued me and um go to law school. I did Where'd you go to law school? Stetson. You did? Okay. Yeah. What years were you there? Uh eighty seven to eighty nine. Okay. Yeah. And um and did you go to uh, the sixth for P D or I went to the sixth for P D clinic. Um, for some weird reason, I really enjoyed tax law in law school. I never thought I would, but I did. That's interesting. So I almost, I was admitted to, to Denver for my LLM, but I had a young daughter. Uh -huh. And for some reason, I decided, nah, let me just go and work with the public defender's office. I think, it's, I, I think there's this weird um, dynamic where I almost think it's better to be a parent going through law school than to be, you know, not, not, uh, not, not weighed down is the word I'm looking for. But I think if you're single, not married, don't have children in law school, there's a very easy ability to kind of not focus, not study, not do all these things. And when you have a spouse or you have a child, it kind of gives you a laser focus because you're not just doing it for you. You're doing it for the betterment of your family. Did you find that 
you were maybe a little bit more mature or kind of had a different motivation than a lot of the people in your class? I, I, I was definitely more mature throughout. I was focused, matured throughout college and, and law school uh, because of the family and, yeah. and what have you. Um, the Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I, I guess you know, there's pros and cons. You know, there's like pros anything. and cons to everything, right? Um, but, you know, I was definitely focused. And, and I actually had, you know... Um, so I, I started law school. This is my dream. This is what this is what I was going to do. I mean, there was nothing else in, right. in life. So I started law school. Um, uh, is it eighty-seven? Yeah, the, the the fall of eighty-seven, and um, I do average, get C's. Um, then I do spring, uh, the following spring, and um, and and then the grades don't come out until I'm halfway into my summer term. Right. And then I find out that I just blew it in, this, in the springtime. I mean, just blew it. I had a similar so, trajectory so, to what I had. So, yeah. so, so I get kicked out. Yeah. And I'm like... Probation or all the way kicked out? I get kicked out. Okay. I get kicked out. I'm, I'm devastated. I, I, I go to Professor Latimer, was my evidence professor. Oh, I, was mine. <laughs> I go to him, and I, 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 got, I got a D in, in evidence. And I was, I was the evidence guy. Yeah. I knew everything about evidence. Yeah. And I sit down with him, and he says, you know, your answer to the part of the test that you answered was absolutely amazing, but you only finished one-third of the test. Yeah. Because I just got, got so, so carried away. Yeah. yeah. So um, so I, I, I worked for six months. I had to go in front of the board, you know, to plead to get back in. Um, they let you know they they give you like the do or die yeah. reentry and and I'm top ten percent of my class. Start booking every class. and and uh, <laughs> you know and then as soon as I'm back in and I'm solid then I drop back down to C's again. So g grades was never a big thing for me, you know. But well, the smartest people that I knew in law school didn't get amazing grades because <laughs> they were smart enough to kind of just get by doing the bare minimum, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it, it, it's not the best indicator in my experience it's not. of, it's of not. what your acumen is and what your career will be like. But uh, so you go, then you go, was it uh, Jaeger or Jagger or who was the public? Jagger, yeah. yeah, yeah. And how long did you? Uh, four, for four years. You did four years there. Yeah, right. And did you get to do any death cases or? No. Um, so I didn't do any death cases um, uh, in the public defender's office. Um, I did some capital sexual battery cases. You know, I was fortunate enough to uh, uh, be sent to the National Criminal Defense College in Macon, Georgia, which was amazing. Met a lot of great lawyers there. Um, and had a lot of trials, um, fun trials. Uh, I remember my first felony trial. My client was a guy, uh, his name was Eugene Blair. <laughs> and um, he was charged with uh, battery of a law enforcement officer. And he was, he was, a, he was a junkie. Yeah. Um, and the battery on the Leo supposedly happened in the holding cell at Clearwater Police Department. And my guy, Eugene had gone to trial about s eight times where he was found not guilty and about 10 times when he was found guilty between 1963 oh God, yeah, and when I tried the, the case. Yeah. He always went to trial. Right. Always went to trial. And uh, it was a not guilty. Um, uh, Do you remember the judge? It was Judge Beach. Oh, wow. And um, it was... It, he's still alive, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, he's alive. He's doing good. Um, you know, uh, Sorry to get you off topic. But yeah. He's, he's just... I, well, so uh, I, I was... Good friends with Jim Beach, and I don't think that they're, they're re related, are they? No, no. Um, but I, I, for some reason, I always thought they were. But Judge Beach did, wasn't he? Didn't he like swim channels and do all mm -hmm. this weird physical, yeah, like acts of? Uh, <laughs> he's done. He's done uh, Alcatraz. He's done the British Channel. Yeah. Um. You know, he, he's he's a he's a great guy. You know, it's funny. He was senior status and and retired. You know, when I had the ponytail, and and sometimes he would come in and visit and. You know, one day he, he calls me up to the bench. He's like, Bjorn, check this out. He says, so he turns his head sideways and he shows me that he's got a little ponytail. You know? Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, so he's funny. a great, he's a great, great guy. He was not, certainly not politically correct about a lot of issues, yeah. but, but um, wonderful guy. Wonderful. Well, guy. yeah. And I, I feel like Pinellas is, is, is kind of the last to get unmired by that type of thinking. I mean, even today, there's still, there's starting to be some new blood there, but, you know, uh, 
who's uh, who's uh, Andringa and uh, who is uh, Cadell and you know there's there's a lot of judges over there who were in love with pontificating from the bench and a lot right. of times what they were saying absolutely like, no, not oh the, my god not what you should be saying today yeah yeah i mean they were interesting and amusing but def- definitely did you have the ponytail at the public defender or no they, that came after no I, I got the ponytail in 1995 when i did the outlaw motorcycle club trial and and is that was that why that you had that's that? why i got it oh, I, so I was talk about that i was i was so irritated and annoyed with with the government for going after these guys because in my opinion most of them were vietnam vets uh-huh. they were you know um at the time I, I viewed them as old men now i, I view them as you know my, my contemporaries <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. uh but no yeah, they were long-haired guys that liked to ride motorcycles and and they were pretty much broke and and they were set up by the government yeah and, and uh and even jurors wrote letters after the fact you know, the, 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 the case was hung. It was a six-month trial. The RICO, they were hung on. But on the drug counts, because if you're predisposed, you know, uh, it's hard to get the entrapment. So, right, so, they right. got the, so they walk on the first load, which were all set up by the government. Right. But then they get popped on the, on the Second, subsequent yeah. loads. Um, so I was just, I thought it was terrible. So that's when I, that's when I, that's when I got it. And, then, and that's when I first met you. I mean, not, but I remember shortly specifically. After. You're the guy with the ponytail. Yeah. Yeah. How long did you have that for? Until 2004, April. Okay. Which was shortly before uh, my trial involving. I was representing the captain of of the freighter Yalta, which was a, a freighter that had left Panama, was on its way to Poland. My client was uh, Russian, um, and. Um, I'd been to the Ukraine and we're getting ready for trial, and I just I was tired of it, and I thought maybe I'll get a new look, and so I cut it right before that trial. So my here's my stereotyping of you. For yeah. some reason, I thought it had to be tennis related because I always <laughs> uh, who's the other Borg? Group? Yeah, I, I thought I thought there was some kind of no connection, no connection. But that, that's just <laughs> they're both from there. Both right. ponytail. He must right. be a big tennis guy. Well, who's uh? So Dino Michaels wasn't he real, uh, like really big in the tennis? He was at the PD's office. Did you? There, I don't know. You know Dino? Uh, yeah, I know Dino. I don't yeah. know anything he about him like a in tennis. tennis. Pro or really? Something. Yeah. Which, yeah. Looking at him, you you know he almost kind of looks like a throwback to like Groucho <laughs> Marx or something. With it. He's got rid of the mo- mustache now, but oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, for the longest time, it was the ball guy with the mustache. It, right. Yeah. Right. But anyway. So yeah. Yeah. That was always what I thought it was. No tennis. No All right. tennis. All right. No tennis. Were you no, an athlete? No line of underwear. I oh, think yeah. Bork has yeah. his own line of underwear. And Were stuff, you an yeah. athlete at all growing up, or? Um. Well, we, we we played soccer yeah. every single day yeah. growing up. Um, Do you follow and, that today? I, I to some degree, yeah. Do you have I the British club that you Liverpool, yeah, okay. yeah. Liverpool's my club, and and um, I do some of the fantasy soccer, Premier League fantasy soccer. I was heard this past week, and I was at a, a birthday party of one of my daughter's friends, and uh, Tony Martinez is one of her friends' dad. He's from Spain. He's really into. He was telling me that some of the clubs they're looking at doing games on tv with no fans in the stands but digitally putting fans in the stands oh really and putting the sound of fans so that it improves the experience of watching it on tv but it's really just going to be the guys playing in the stadiums by themselves because as i'm sure you'd agree a big part of football or soccer is the fan oh absolutely absolutely i mean they're like political rallies religious revivals i mean it's you know it says everything about who you are, about who your club is. My wife and I, we went to uh, Scotland uh, in February just before all this happened, and uh, we found ourselves in one of the clubs there. And people, both sides of the bar, they were hanging up flags on the other side. It was so crowded. And I, I said to the waitress, it's like, is this just a Saturday morning? And she's like, no, there's a game about to go on. Right, and right. I can't even remember who the clubs were, but I, my buddy Dave from uh, Ireland, I texted him. He's like, he knew exactly what game it was, and he's like, yeah, you probably want to get out of there in the next hour. Right, so. right. So uh, yeah, Europeans. I mean, really, most of the world outside of the United States, people are fanatical about yeah. about football or yeah. soccer. It is an yeah. amazing sport. I love the World Cup, and I was in a, a Atlanta a couple of years ago, and uh, the city almost shut down. And I was, I forget, I think it was in the fall. And I, my cousin, who uh, he's actually a director, he works on a lot of the the. 
you can't call them Hollywood because they're in Atlanta, but there's a lot of uh, movies and TV shows being shot in Atlanta because of the tax treatment. Right. So he's an assistant director. He's worked on The Walking Dead and all these different stuff there. But I was, I was like, what's going on with the traffic? Is there a Braves game? Is there a Falcons game? He's like, no, it's the MLS team. It's, it's, they get more attendance for the MLS in, in Atlanta than they do like the Braves. The oh, wow. or It's very close. Yeah. So, it's kind of working its way in, but right. I don't know with COVID if it just set us back like five years or right. what happened there. But anyway, so um, you leave the public defender's office. Do you go right out on your own or do you join yes. up with somebody? Right out on my own. And I mean, been... I, I shared space with someone, but I, I wasn't affiliated. Who'd but... you share space with? Uh, Sid Kilgore. I know the name. Yeah. For sure. yeah. yeah. He doesn't practice in the area anymore. Um, he had a firm... Uh, um, they were trying to focus on international yeah. matters and such. And have you had partners? I mean, I know you have Gervais Wise who works with you now. And have, did you have any other partners or work with I, anybody else? I've had lawyers work for me over the yeah. years, um, yeah, work with me over the years. But really, Jervis is the one that's been. Uh, we've been solid together now since two thousand six. How'd you guys meet each other? So, I was in. 2006, I'm getting ready to do my longest vacation ever. I'm going to Europe with my family for three weeks. Okay. And so I was looking for someone to help me out, you know, and um, Jervis had worked with, with Dick Watts. Okay. Um, and I heard that he was looking for someone to work with. Right. And, and so I said, hey, let me, let me check it out. And um, so he... Started out a little bit before I left on the trip. He sort of covered my office while I was gone, and and uh, then we finalized it when I got back. Uh, and that's been fourteen, fifteen, almost fifteen years. Almost fifteen years. Ago, that's great. Yeah. Now, yeah. Did, was he a Stetson guy? He was a Stetson guy. When did he graduate? I, I'm trying to think. I think he's a little bit older than I am, but I'm trying to remember. Um, so that was '06. I'm thinking he must have graduated in in. Maybe oh four. So then he is. Or, or, I, I was oh two. So okay. I, I thought he and I might have been contemporaries. I almost feel like I know him independently of working with you. But Could be. I've heard the name. I've always known the name in relation to you. But I ne- I didn't until very recently put the face with the name. And I was like, oh, that's who that is because I I just know that I've seen him around a lot. Yeah. Now does he do strictly criminal defense too, or does he work in some other areas? No, or? pretty much. Pretty much. So that's pretty much your defense. bread and butter. That's that's what you guys are working on. Yeah. Now the whole acquitter thing is that is that a more recent uh, incantation or no? Nope. I I I got that domain in in ninety five ninety six. That's such a great product. Except only lawyers really get it. I mean, maybe but it, but some has, others do, but you know. Well, but if there's a you know having a brand as seen as running a business becomes important. Having sure a look to what you do, having the way that you present yourself in court, having your name, you know, all these things, you know, people are in, more savvy these days. And so I think that does kind of sell. I mean, apart aside from the fact that you're an amazing attorney, but you kind of have this product. So, and don't you guys do like a newsletter? There's something that I've, I don't know if it's on social media. Or... We, do, we do, we do some stuff on social media. Um, you know, in fact, I don't even really know everything well, you, you do on yeah, those. Yeah, you kind it's, of I'm it. not intimately involved in it. You I set mean, it up, you set yeah. it and forget it. Yeah, let's right. I mean, kinda... We have a blogger out of Texas, and then we have some other bloggers. And you know, once in a while, I'll straighten them out if they yeah. if I see something that I don't like. Right. Or, yeah. But um, now, um, are you currently still married? I'm married. Yes. To the same? No. Okay. No. Different wife. Yes. No children with this wife. No. Okay. Um, and you mentioned growing up, uh, or at least as your exchange time being on the water. You live on on or near the water now, don't you? Sure. Okay. So. so the um, th- there was this property that I used to go by when I lived here as an exchange student. It was just had this beautiful big backyard, and um, you know I al- always admired it. And um, so I I get divorced. I'm broke. This is in the uh, I would say what is that late '90s, early 2000, and um, I get this unexpected referral fee from uh, a firm here in Tampa, like $90,000 shows up one day. I'm like, wow, (laughs) I had no idea. (laughs) So it's time to buy a place. So I buy this townhouse Uh in the neighborhood right next to where I live currently. And I used to jog through this neighborhood. And I used to say, hey, you know, if any of these houses go on the market, because they hadn't been on the market for years, um, 
this, I might be able to get a good deal. So I run through the neighborhood one morning. The, si the same, uh, for sale sign has just gone up. Um, Another black swan. Have event. a contract yeah. on it by that evening. Oh, wow. Um, I realize uh, basically once I go and view the property that it's the same property that I admired wow. you know, in the early 80s when I would go by. And, uh, yeah, it, it's wonderful. Um, I've I've seen it I've, I've seen it some are you into collecting art I I feel like there's somehow at some point I think it was on social media mm -hmm. you had posted some stuff from inside your house there was a photo shoot or there was something that was going on there I don't remember what it was but Wait, it was, I had um well we had like a playmate photo shoot at the house okay um and I may have posted some I do have some cool art yeah um, yeah. And and I love photography, so okay. yeah, I'm constantly posting sunsets and sunrise. Do you do that so yourself too? I do that myself. Okay. What yeah. sort of camera do you use? So I have um I have a couple of cameras. I have a Nikon D500. Okay. And then I have uh no, what's the other one? It's uh in the five thousand range or something like that. Have you gotten into the mirrorless stuff yet? I have not. I I was on the verge of doing that. Uh -huh. Um, and then I ended up getting the D500 instead. I like to do nature photography yeah, yeah. and and the reviews on the d500 is good canon is supposed to be like the best for nature photography right. but i already had all the lenses so i figured i'd stick with the nikon so so my wife uh who's my partner and an attorney uh she got into photography when we had kids she right in new form photography and now she does family stuff and she does some professional headshots and all that but she had that that camera the nikon right there next to you which we now use to shoot our videos but she wanted to get the uh she wanted to get the mirrorless, so she gave me that one, and we got her a mirrorless camera, which she's been using. Yeah, I, I have this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great camera. We yeah. shoot a lot of our video and stuff on it, but I've also had a lot of... Uh, I've become pretty good friends with a lot of people who work for Creative Loafing. I'm really big into music, and I really love concert photography. Right. You know, I came up in the 80s, which was punk music and hardcore music and skateboarding and all these grimy, grainy, black-and-white photos, action photos, so I really appreciate that kind of photography. And Dave Decker... Who's been on the show? He's in a local band called uh, Big Sad, but he shoots a lot of the concert photography for Creative Loafing. So I've I've kind of through uh, osmosis learned a little bit about aperture and lenses yeah. and all these different things. So it's very there's so much more to it than you so even, much. Yeah, and it's it's really kind of a cool thing for an analytical mind like yours. So I yeah. I can see where there's a kind of a crossover for an attorney getting into that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I've always had the photography thing. Um, and I always like to be active. Um, the um, I quit drinking alcohol like two and a half that years was ago. Something you mentioned recently yeah. that clicked for me, and I, I'm glad okay. you brought that up because okay. I wanted to ask you about that. All right, okay. So, so was so, it a problem, or you know, it's funny that that that's always the question, right? Yeah. And um, so f probably back in 2010, I'm in Colombia with my buddy. Uh huh. Uh, and we're on the rooftop of our hotel, and, and I'm having a cold beer. Yeah. And um, and we both had parents who struggled with addiction. Mine, my dad's my dad well. struggled yeah. with struggled with addiction. Uh, fortunately, he died unrelated to it, but but he definitely struggled with addiction. And so I'm talking to my buddy, and 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 he doesn't drink. And and I said to him, you know, do you have you have a problem yeah because you know, that's that's the question that's the next qu that's yeah. the question yeah. you know if i said you know what i quit i you know i quit eating sugar no one ever says did you, did you have, have a problem, a problem? <laughs> yeah right but yeah. with alcohol did you have a problem yeah and his answer was i don't know but i know by quitting i don't have a problem yeah so um go fast forward then to two and a half years ago um i've always sort of thought about it mm -hmm. um uh, i would drink daily uh i would drink you know make myself probably two drinks each night when i get home but, yeah. but they're homemade drinks you know yeah. it's like so it's stronger, stronger than, what you, than what yeah. you get at a bar yeah. yeah and did it affect my work no did, did it did, did did it affect does it affect who you are yes um and and so i'm in england and I'm just surfing around online, and 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 this book I find this book is called This Naked Mind. Yeah, and it's an analytical discussion of your relationship with alcohol. And when I after reading it, I was like, "Wow, 
this is all stuff that I knew from when I was 10 years old and was helping my dad picking him up from the ground because he fell down because right. he was drunk. You know, um, I remember as a kid wondering why in the world can't adults have parties without alcohol? Why does it always have to include alcohol? Right. And, uh, you know, part of the reason people say they had the drink is, oh, I really like the taste. And, and, you know, the book discusses the fact that the first time people taste alcohol, it tastes like shit. Yeah. Right? They develop a... Yeah, you do use like a you fantasy did, or a it's fiction. A fan, yeah. It's a fantasy and a fiction. So yeah. it was like a switch went off. Yeah. And I just said, I'm done. I'm yeah. not going to, I'm, I, I'm, it's not going to be part of my life anymore. And so, and that was it. Yeah. And, and um, so I've never gone to AA. I never felt the need to go to AA. Uh, uh, you know, but was it an unhealthy habit? Absolutely. You know, um, and the fact that you act fairly normal when you're impaired, uh, you're still not 100% there. Yeah. So uh, I'm clearer now. I sleep better. And then... You, uh, you, you've always appeared outwardly to be in good shape, but I, I'll tell you that at a certain point, I, I saw you, and then I didn't see you, and I saw you again. Right. And physically, you look younger. You look healthier. Right. You know, so yeah. you... I, I can tell outwardly, you know, and, and it wasn't like there was a big change that needed to be made, but no, I, you it's, appear it's different. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, and I look at some photos of me, my face is kind of swollen and what have you. Um, and so then I'm like, you know, I'm always clear and I'm always thinking, I'm, and I'm like, okay, I need to come up with something. So that's when I started hiking again. Yeah. Now, I did a lot of hiking as a child yeah. and as a teenager, but I kind of lost it. Yeah. You know, and I was in this oh, I can only stay at the Ritz-Carlton and, and I can't really sleep in a tent. And, and now I put a backpack on and a tent and, and I'll hike for days. And, That's you know, great. we'll drink That's filtered great. water and, and uh, heat up, you know, hydrated food and, you know. There's this, uh, there's this band that growing up, uh, Black Flag, and they've had, they were a California band and they had a lot of different lead singers, but their most popular lead singer is a guy by the name of Henry Rollins who... Mm -hmm. Uh, does a lot of spoken word stuff. He has a publishing company now. Never got married, but one of his big things that he always talks about is he has this huge map on his wall. And he'll either Google, like, what is the most dangerous place to travel or what is the most remote place that I can find? Right. And he sticks a thumbtack there. He spends a couple weeks learning about it and literally a backpack and just goes there. And he Love talks it. about going to Beirut and talks about going to Iran and Pakistan and going all these things. And he's a he does photography, too. Right. And so he just, he, you know, Myanmar, or it's not called Myanmar, but I mean, just goes to these places which you'd never intentionally want to go to. Right. And he writes about it and he takes cool. pictures about it and he'll have whole books that come out about it. So that's so romantic to me and such a, a great thing. I mean, right now I've got a two and a six year old. I can't do it right yeah. now. But that's something that appeals to me. But I wanted to back up for a little bit, uh, yep. if I can. And you asked me before you came in, why why am I doing the show? And what you we, what you just told me is the reason I do the show because this is almost like a th free therapy session to me. Right. So I was an only child. Both my parents, beautiful human beings, both struggled very much with depression. Both struggled with alcohol. And in their later years, and I'm sure you've seen this through your practice, is it is so easy for older people to get pain medications. They yeah. just get. Xanax, Oxycontin, Hydrocodone, all these mm. things peddled on them, peddled yeah. on them, peddled on them. And it got to a point in their house where I was like, if anybody on the street knew what you were keeping here, you guys would be robbed blind in a day. And not only that, but they were trading it to each other. Oh, and, yeah. you know, oh, my back hurts. I'm going to take a yeah. Hydrocodone. Yeah. But they were also drinking a bottle of white wine a night and all this other stuff. So as an only child, I didn't have any siblings to share that responsibility with. And so... In the last 10 years of their lives, I was getting calls about we're in the emergency room or your dad fell through the bookcase or all these other things. And it got there was a point where uh, it was before my son was born. My daughter was born and I brought my daughter and my wife over to visit. And uh, my dad liked to smoke cigarettes, too. So what would happen is we'd always sit in the front living room area and he would excuse himself every now and again and go into that front office so he could smoke. And at one point I heard this loud bang and I go in and he's on the floor and I just start crying and just, I love, my dad was my hero. I mean, right. he was a, he, you know, it's, he, he taught Ben DeBerg in high school. I mean, my, my dad, my yeah. dad he was this big, 
uh, intelligent, you know, robust guy, yeah. but it almost worked against him. His mind, he couldn't handle his anxiety. He couldn't handle his brain. He couldn't, and this was before therapy was a big thing, and, uh, you know, tr being healthy with your body was a big thing. So it was smoking and drinking and all this other stuff. And so my daughter was there, and I was picking him up off the floor, and I was just angry. I just, and I actually ended up getting him Baker acted. This was after mm. I was an attorney. Yeah. I was like, how can I clean him out? And this was, this was within a year of when he passed. And so mm. wow. in a way, I have guilt about it, but I was like, how can I dry him out? And I had, I should be careful what I say, but I had worked at the state and done Baker acts, and I knew what you needed to happen to Baker act right. to get him Baker act, to get him put in. And he spent a couple weeks in a facility right by the library over there in St. Pete and no drink and everything else. And, you know, he died about eight months thereafter. But um, that, as much as I love them, very much experiencing that, especially as an only child, left a big mark on me. Yeah. And I drink, and I, but I think about it a lot. Right. Uh, and especially with COVID, it's picked up a little bit. Sure. And, and uh, you know, in the, in the years leading up to them passing, uh, I started going to therapy, and I still do it today. And one of the big things that, we've spent a lot of time talking on is this isn't a term of art, but being able to, to, to exist in a pocket of discomfort, you know, I think so much of alcohol or cell phones or sex or drugs or spending or eating are trying to fill a hole mm -hmm. and we don't look at that hole and what is that hole and what is that discomfort? And, I want to read this book that you're mentioning because I'm betting that there's a lot of kind of crossover there about why are you uncomfortable just with yourself? Right. What is it that you're trying to medicate or change or alter or all these things? So that's definitely something that I think about a lot and something that I don't want to pass on to my children and right. I want to be better about for them. Um, have them be comfortable with themselves, not have that anxiety, not have those things that they feel that they need to you know, medicate in some way. So right. I, I remember, I don't, again, it must've been social media, but I remember you talking about that book and it was right. very attractive to me as something that I wanted to, to follow up on. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I would highly recommend it. Um, What's the name of it again? This Naked Mind. This Naked Mind. All right. Yeah. In fact, if you want me to, um, uh, I'll send you a, I have, I just ordered another 25 copies. Oh, I would love it. Because I, I, I just give them away. Sign, sign it like uh, like Al Pacino did. Yeah, there you go, it. there you go. He's got this that. great uh, Injustice <laughs> for All poster that Al Pacino signed for him. So if I get a Bjorn Brunvon signed uh, copy of that book, I'll, uh -huh. I'll put it up on a on a pedestal here. You know, it, the book's been so effective with some of my friends that I have other friends who said, they're afraid to read the book because they don't want to stop well, that's drinking. That's the thing with therapy. No, <laughs> wants to go, no one wants to go to therapy because they don't want to learn how right. fucked up they yeah. are. You know, yeah. I don't. You know, and it's true. Like you know, I, 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 I kind of have no ego and a big ego. Like right. I, I, I don't think I'm a. I have a big ego as a person. You know, I'm, I'm very willing to appreciate other people and put them up. But at the same time, I have this feeling that. Uh, I'm a pretty good guy, and there's not much I need to work on. And through therapy, there's the tons of stuff right. that I need to work on. And so, learning about your flaws and your your deficiencies is is you know a scary first step to take. Yeah. So I imagine much in the same way of reading that book, you know. It's, um, it's, absolutely, and and you know it, it's you, you know when when I made the decision that I was going to quit drinking, um, and, and basically my what I I would come home I would have a drink before dinner, have dinner, and then I'd have another drink sitting in my chair, you know, looking on my computer, doing whatever. But I remember telling my youngest daughter, you know, I decided no, to quit drinking. And she had this uh, tremendous relief. Like so it was something that she was picking up on or thinking about. She was about. picking up on it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and I don't, she hasn't really been able to say anything in particular, but I'm assuming it's, it's, just that you're not really there. Yeah. You're, you're not there. You're not fully there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're sort of like, you're there, but you're like in another world. Yeah. 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 And so, now for me, it's for me, it's been just amazing. Was it's it the work that did it to you, do you think? Or was it... Uh... No. no I, I, well, I, I think you end up, you end up saying, oh, a drink would be good right now to take the edge off. It's been a long day. Yeah. You know, 
And then it's like you have your drink and you have your meal. They say, oh, I'll have one more, you know. Yeah. And it just, you know, the idea is it chills you, right? Yeah. So w instead, you need to find another way of, of getting outlet. that relief. Yeah. So for me now, it's I, nightly I, hiking, I, nightly walking. Or? Well, every morning I I go for a long walk, okay. uh, anywhere from three and a half to twelve miles. Oh wow! Um, start in the dark finish up, you know, um, depending on how long I go, um, early morning. Um, uh, you listen I'll, to music or are you just... I listen to music, yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm older than you. Queen was my big well, um, big I, band. Yeah, so. for sure. That's a great one. And um, ride the, ride a bicycle, not not a motorcycle, yeah. but a bicycle. Uh, I, I love to fish. Oh, really? Yeah, but really hiking has become my passion. I mean, it's it's... Hiking and photography, and co the combination of the two. Is, yeah. Is, so that's that. That's the that's the new me, and I love my work. I mean, I I am passionate about what I do. So, do the death cases like, you know, I had Danny Hernandez on, and I yeah. talked to him a little bit about that. I've, I I when I was at the state, I got close on a murder trial, but it didn't end up going through. Right. And in my private practice, I'd never done it. I don't think that I could do it. I'm anti-death penalty. Mm -hmm. um, I just, those stakes seem too high to me to be able to shoulder emotionally, but I don't know that that's a correct way to look at it. Like, what's been your experience there? Do you, do you even consider that? Do you put that weight on you, or do you just... I, I have been opposed to, that, to the death penalty since um, college. I, I, I remember writing a paper in college, and then I rewrote the paper in law school, exploring the issues and 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 so i'm very much opposed to it um that being said um uh, i i love doing the death penalty cases they're tough you know um i i experienced one of my clients being executed i was there for the execution you went to it i was there oh my god I was, was it there. injection or the yep, chair lethal, or? lethal injection okay um god how was that it was horrible yeah, it, it was. It was. It was. Do you think it changed how you practice law, having seen it? I, I mean, it it changes everything about you. I yeah. mean, um, it it's um, it, you know, understand regardless of of guilt or innocence, um, this particular person, my client, was executed. By the time he's executed, there's no doubt in my mind that he knew how to love his partner. Mm -hmm. He had a partner. Um, there's no doubt in my mind that he cared about her mm -hmm. um, because of things that he would say to me. Right. Um, and he was healthy. Yeah. And so... We're taking all of that from him. And, and so we strap him on this gurney, and, and uh, he didn't make any statements, but, but he looked at me, and he looked at the, uh, oh. his spiritual um, uh, advisor, yeah. and we were the only two that were allowed in there. Um, and he just mouthed, thank you. And I was just like, this is so barbaric. It's so yeah. grotesque. Um, and, and I understand people get angry and, and people will say, well, what if it was your daughter and yeah. what have you? And I get that. But so as a society, we're supposed to be better than that. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, that's so. And I mean, every, you know, I, st I, I was a criminology uh, major in, in college and I took a lot of studies on this. And there's just not any theory of criminal justice that supports it none financially it's more expensive it doesn't it's not a prohibitive it doesn't stop crime you know as far as punishment they're but they're dead <laughs> I mean, they don't yeah they don't there is no punishment you know you're taking away their ability to understand a punishment yeah. there's just not really it's it's not about the criminal it's about society it's about some other need or whatever that society has that's it's a reflection of society and not anything that's benefiting society as far as punishment or you know yeah it's it's crazy you know what 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 blows my mind is is uh, um so i last couple of years we we tried a, a few capital cases in Polk County and the prosecution and and it happens frequently throughout Florida, but they will ask the jurors um, if the death penalty was on the ballot tomorrow, would you vote for or against the death penalty? And the great majority of the people say they would vote for it. That's great judge territory. <laughs> yeah. And so I'll follow up 
and I'll because they also say, "Oh, yeah, this is very important." What yeah. have you? And I say, "Well, when you decide where your child is going to go to school, or when you decide where you're going to buy your home, and and do you do due diligence? Do you like investigate and try to find out, you know, everything there is to know about it?" And of course, they're all going to say yes. Yeah. I'm like, "Well, what what due diligence have, have you, you done? done on that issue?" Yeah. And does it matter? You know, and yeah. and and. Well, welcome to the political world today. <laughs> I mean, you know, you have these people who say these things online and, you know, in, in person, and it, it, and you you only need to very barely scratch the surface to see that there's no thought behind it. It's no just, foundation. It's no foundation behind it. It's just towing a line, or yeah. you know, these little blurbs, these little things that you get thrown out. And it's, it's like, like it's sound bites. It's, yeah. it's it's you know, like like you know, Trump's you know, medical solution to COVID-19. And, and despite the fact that all the experts are saying is bullshit, yeah. there's still a bunch of people that swear by it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Doc, Dr. Trump says it's so, so therefore it must be yeah. the solution. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, so politically, uh, if, you, if you don't mind, uh, you know, how, how do you see what we're going through right now in, in, in your experience, both living in the U.S. And, and living abroad and traveling abroad? I mean, you know, they talk about these, uh, what do they call them? Uh, uh, banana dictator, what do they call it? There's a word for it. I'm, I'm lo losing the phrase. But anyway, I'm seeing a lot of things now that I never thought I would see in, in the United States. And I, and I don't know if it's a sign of things to come or if it's just kind of a blip on the radar or if it's, you know, yesterday all my friends were sending me the upside down triangle, which was like the Nazi. And I was like, and, and, I, and I really fight against being too conspiracy uh, theory, but it's some of the stuff that happens, and I was just saying this to Lori Chain, who was in here before you, is like either he knows or he doesn't know, and I don't know which one's better. You know, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, when Trump was elected, um, I said to people, you know, I, it's nothing's ever scared me more than him being elected. The the, I mean, he's he's so bad that W. I would welcome W back. Well, he's got a resurgence. He and <laughs> Michelle are hanging out. He's uh, painting pictures. Yeah, he's yeah. become kind of an icon. Right. Um, and I truly, I'm truly concerned about about our government and the continuation of our government for 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 two reasons, for multiple multiple reasons. One is, um, I don't see him ever voluntarily relinquishing his the power. Office. Yeah. I just don't see it. Yeah, and so if he was to not be reelected in what November, does that look like? yeah, my what I see is is he'll declare martial law and 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 say because of COVID nineteen and because of the un civil unrest, yeah, and uh, and nullify the election. I yeah. mean, I just don't see him walking away. And and yeah, I see. I, I, it's frightening. It is. It's frightening. It's it's it's. Um, I think uh, our country abroad were viewed as 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 mad people. Really, uh, I was in Greece uh, right before September 11th, uh, and we were in the islands. We were like Santorini or Skopelos or something. Right. We were taking a bus ride, and I was sitting next to it was a Scandinavian gentleman. It might have been Norway. I don't know, but we were talking to him, and it was so funny listening to him talk to me. I mean, I've always been liberal progressive, you sure. Know? But he, the way that he was talking to me about W was like people talk about Osama bin Laden or talk about, you know, like war crimes, terrorists, uh -huh. all uh -huh. these other things. And so, you about know. About W or Trump? W. Oh, about W. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. All and right. it was. Oh, because this is back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Pre-9-11. Yeah. But, uh, it's, yeah. you know, we don't, we don't realize the narrative outside of the country, you know. And, uh, yeah. And, and I, you know, I remember that era. And 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 it wasn't a particular, not a particularly good area. And 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 then we had, you know, the eight years with Obama. I mean, all of a sudden it was like the world viewed us in a more positive light. Right. And and, and so to me, I, well, many people disagree with me. Uh, Jimmy Carter and Obama are yeah. like my favorites. Just very ethical, honorable, ethically, and, and, and not yeah. perfect by no, any stretch. No one's but perfect. 
That but, was perfect. But, you know, I have these people, educated people that, you know, talk to me about how horrible Obama, he was a racist. And, you know, even you know, Brian Camarino, yeah. he always, he's always got this thing about drones. Like, he's really down on Obama about using drones to kill people. And, I mean, I think about the job, and you've got to make the worst decisions in the world. It's not, you know, I, I don't know if you, do you ever have the conversation with your, I, it's a kind of a, a blue analogy or, or uh, equation that I give them, but I often tell clients, your choice isn't between eating a filet mignon and a pile of shit. It's right. between eating a small pile of shit and a bigger pile of shit. Uh -huh. Which pile of shit do you want to eat? And I often think that the presidency is you're choosing between two piles of shit often. And yeah. so you can't necessarily view it through that spectrum. I mean, something awful has got to be done. Which awful thing is it that you're going to do to solve this problem? So, right. Right. That's that's kind of how I look at the whole drone argument on uh, Obama, but yeah, I mean, just just like you're saying, our view in the world, our our relationship with France and Germany and all these other people. If you look at the disparity, you know, the G6 and the Paris Accord and all these other things that we're pulling out of, it's just like, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, it, it's crazy to me. It really is. Um, well, I, I, I'm not going to keep you too much longer, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about what your views are with what's going on with the police and uh, you know, this whole defund the police. I had a conversation with a friend of mine, Brian Scriven, on Wednesday that I'm open to what I think the true theory behind defunding the police is, and I think they need to rename it something other than defund the police, because I think if our police force could more closely represent like what you were describing in Norway, that would be a step forward. I don't think it's something that can happen overnight, but I definitely think it's something that we could work towards and have... Uh, I brought it up a lot this week. There's a movie on Netflix called 13th. It's a documentary about the 13th oh, Amendment. Have you seen it? I've seen so, it. So, and it talks about how uh, the government treating uh, substance abuse as a criminal issue as opposed to a health-related issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think if there was a paradigm shift with that, we could change the way our police forces work. But right now, everybody's painting defund the police as get rid of the police. And I don't think that's what the argument is. Right. Um, do you have thoughts on that? Have you considered it? Do you have... I, well, first of all, I think uh, I have a lot of friends who are in law enforcement. Right. I, I know a lot of very admirable, outstanding um, uh, police officers and agents. Um, that being said, I, I think there is a huge problem, um, uh, and it's one that has to be addressed. Um, uh, defunding is uh, I don't know that that's the way to handle the it. way to handle it uh, but but it definitely has to be addressed and it and and it's not going to happen overnight yeah but um, I think sensitivity to, uh, to, to you know uh, racism is it's got to be it's got to be addressed and and um, you know people are so afraid you know to to recognize that racism exists and that it's part of all of us you know, I mean, I, 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 I'll bring it up, I'll bring it up in jury selection when when race is an issue, and and I'll ask, I'll you know, I'll I'll say, you know, who among you are prejudiced, and and you know, everyone's like sitting there, like looking at me, mm -hmm. like I, you know, exposed myself or something, mm -hmm. and and the reality is. We're all prejudiced to some degree. How many of you are Washington Redskins fans? How many yeah. of you have poured Aunt Jemima syrup on your pancakes? You know, yeah. how, how many of you change the way that you talk when you're talking to a black person? Absolutely. How many of you double-click the, the key fob on your car? If You, you know, just this yeah. subliminal stuff that, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and that is something that I think we need to become more aware of. And, and, and for law enforcement... I don't know that we can do the Norwegian uh, plan of, of no firearms because mm. there are so many firearms around here. Yeah, put the but I think I think education and, and accountability. You yeah. know, I mean, one of the things that that has frustrated me over the years is the people who work in the system, be it prosecutors, judges, defense lawyers. We know that frequently law enforcement will lie. Yeah, uh, we used you know. In advisory hearings, we used to look at the people in the advisory, and the guy that was all beat up, we're like, yeah, he's probably going to been charged with battery on a law, law enforcement, enforcement officer, right? Yeah. Yet, when it comes down to making the decision in court, the judges have such a hard time from time to time saying, oh, okay, maybe, 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 they, are, maybe they are lying. Judges maybe they are juries, for sure. Judges, juries, prosecutors, yeah. defense lawyers, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and uh, 
I think we really need to work on that. We need to ha have accountability. And, and, um, and I think the cell phones and the videos and all that, you know, certainly it's bringing it bringing front it to the center. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because, you know, I felt somewhat of a black sheep in that office over there because, uh, you know, it's a very conservative office over right. in Pinellas. Uh, you know, a lot of my contemporaries over there were pretty staunch Republican. And, you know, I remember having arguments with Brian Daniels and arguments with all these people over there. And, uh, you know, feeling almost somewhat ostracized uh, about it. But, um, you know, the, the, the concept that it's not it's not so black and white. There's a lot of gray area yeah. there. And, you know, you read every DUI report and there's always the odor of alcohol. There's always the odor of burnt marijuana. There's always bloodshot, glassy right. eyes. There's always orbital sway. Right. There's all these things. And it's just like there's this shorthand that is almost part of the form that they're, you know, I was joking with Bryant the other day. I was like, I think the criminal report affidavit already has that on there. Oh, well, you've seen the preprinted forms. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like all you're putting in is the name and the date and everything <laughs> else was written for you. Right. It's like how, you know, and, and you, I was lucky enough to have you help me a little bit with, I had some depositions this week on a search warrant, which right. I haven't had to challenge one of those in, in quite, a, quite a while. But I was looking looking at this and it's like, it's it's got to require a lot to take people's liberty away. And, right. you know, when I became a prosecutor, or, or sorry, when I went out in the, the defense part, you know, people, how can you do that? How can you? It's like, you don't realize what's going on. You don't realize how easily people's li life and liberty is being taken away. And for very little evidence, very little, you know, and it's, you're, it's an uphill battle. Not only that, but you're facing the million-headed hydra with the state attorney's office. Sure. That's one of the things that I love with family laws. I can tell a opposing counsel to fuck off, and I don't have to worry about having the ire of the whole office against me. You know, right. with the state attorney's office, you got to eat a little bit of shit. you got to watch your mouth. you got to watch your tone. you got to be very political on how you're dealing with them because sure. that's not going to be your only case, and you're going to need to help clients out after this one. So it's a, a different dynamic. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming by today. Yeah. I'm very honored. You're one of my heroes. You know, uh, I hold you up on this. Uh, you, Nat Kidder, a couple other people of kind of the icons of people that I really looked up to both as a prosecutor and in the private sector. So I appreciate you All taking right. the time this morning to stop by. I hope you have a great trip, and hopefully I can get you to come back by sometime. That'd be awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Jordan. All right. Thank you.